Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook live stream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919 919- Two seven five four four seven seven. Enjoy the Bible study. You should have notes. Uh, there are a couple of extra ones up front if you don't. Hebrews 11 is certainly a pivotal chapter um, in this letter that's being written. Uh, what this letter, what the writer has certainly established up to this point showing that Jesus is so much better than everything else uh, from angels to uh, the high priest. Now, many of the Jewish people thought at this time thought it was by the works of the law uh, that made one right with God. Nothing has changed down through the years. You could say that not only of the Jewish world today. Uh, you could say it of almost, actually not almost, you could say it of every religious world out there except for biblical Christianity that it's a work salvation, that some kind of law-keeping in the Jewish world would be the Mosaic law to one degree or another, uh, would need to be kept to find uh, favor with God, salvation if you will. At the end of chapter 10, there was a challenge at the end of the uh, 10th chapter uh, to live by faith. It also talked about those who would draw back. And here he is addressing, at the end of chapter 10, the two groups of people that are focused on in this letter. They're all Jewish, the book of Hebrews. But he is focusing on those Jewish people who truly are saved. They possess the Lord. But he's also addressing, and these are the five warning passages, those Jewish people who profess to be believers but aren't saved. And there are five warning passages. The end of last uh, chapter 10 was the fourth warning passage that we looked at last week, warning them to come to true faith. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God and and other things in the last chapter. So challenging them that that, that we need to live by faith, don't draw back, that will mark you out as an unbeliever to begin with, Uh, thus exhibiting spurious faith if they do draw back. Spurious meaning not real, fake. Um, In the the chapter that lies before us, chapter 11, the writer develops the truth that the only way to please God is through faith. It's it's really, if you think of it, a very uh, logical, natural culmination of where he has been going and the challenge that he has given And this whole chapter talks about the need for faith. And it's oftentimes been referred to by some Christian writers or speakers as the hall of fame of faith because of the people that are mentioned in here. Um, 
It doesn't mean there aren't others that are in the Hall of Fame, if you will. Uh, certainly there are, certainly in biblical times, but you'd only had one short chapter to deal with. So in this chapter, the writer develops the truth that the only way to please God is through faith. He begins this chapter by telling us what biblical faith is. Now, it's not blind faith. You know, how many times have you heard people say, well, uh, you know, you, you believe it's just blind faith. Uh, like we go to the edge of a mountain with a uh, blindfold on and somebody says, jump off, you'll be okay. Everything down below is, is, is secure for you. And you jump off, you know, not knowing for sure at all what it, that's not biblical faith. It's not blind faith. It's not, it's also not positive thinking faith. Uh, it's not, if you, if you believe hard enough, uh, or long enough, something will come to pass. Uh, positive thinking faith. That would be like the health, wealth, gospel type of thing. Uh, the Benny Hins and the Kenneth Copelands and, and that group. Uh, biblical faith is not positive thinking faith. Faith embraces two realities. And that's what's developed in this chapter and especially in the beginning. Number one, the word of God. And number two, the evidence of it in our life. So biblical faith, we'll find, is always based on the Word of God. And if we exhibit biblical faith, there will be evidence of that in our life, is what it's saying. So these are the two realities of what faith is. Now, it starts out in verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Now, these are the two parts of faith, these two phrases. The first part, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The second part, the evidence of things not seen. And what we don't want to do, and we'll see this as we go along, in the evidence of things not seen, it's not evidence like an apologetic argument. An apologetic argument is an argument on why we should believe for example, that the God of Israel is the one true God, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus rose from the grave. There's, there's lots of different um, biblical argument, arguments or apologetic arguments you can make and offer evidence for those things. That's not what it's talking about here. Uh, the evidence of things not seen ultimately, and we'll develop this, is in your life. But you are acting on things ultimately you have never seen. Have you ever seen God? If anybody says yes, please set an appointment for me with me for next week. I want to talk to you. Send him to Alan for eyesight. Oh, okay. Yes, that too. Nobody has ever seen God. Um, we haven't seen God. But do you believe in God? Yeah. Well, if you do believe in God, it's going to be evidenced in your life. And, and so the evidence of things not seen. I mean, you could talk about a whole number of things. We've never said, have you ever seen heaven? Think you're going there? I don't think I'm going there. Thank you, April. I know I'm going to heaven. Uh, you know, I don't think I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. Uh, so um, even though I've never seen heaven, I've ne never seen the God who is in control of that, if you will. Uh, I've never seen Jesus. Uh, and you could go on down the list. So the evidence ultimately is in our life. And how we live based on what we know is true, even though we've never seen it. 
and I've mentioned some of those things. So, the first thing though, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, so the first thing is, is, is the substance or the basis of our faith. Substance, hypostasis, is literally, according to this one biblical uh, dictionary, a setting or placing under. So the substance of faith then is said, this is what undergirds, this is what we stand on, as it were. This is where faith is secure. A setting or placing under, thing put under, substructure, foundation. That which is, has foundation is firm. That which has actual existence, substance, real being, the substantial, substantial quality, nature of a person or thing, the steadfastness of mind, firmness, courage, resolution, confidence, firm trust, and assurance. But the primary meaning of this word, substance in the Greek, is the first couple of them that are there, foundation, substructure, something that's holding up a house, if you will. In this case, the house is our faith. So faith is the substance of things so forth. So the substance. Substance literally could be translated and was in the Greek world and the Roman world, uh, I should say. Uh, the ground, the basis, uh, foundation. It's the Greek word used here is also used for title deed. If you have a title deed to your home and it's free and clear of any liens, okay? You know, the bank doesn't, you don't owe the bank money. Uh, who does that home belong to? <laughs> Two wrong answers, one after another. So, so to, no, the, the, the house belongs to you. If the title deed is in your name, it's yours. <clears throat> now, if you disobey the law, you can lose it, if we disobey the Lord, we can lose rewards. We don't lose our faith. Wrong answer, Bob. Wrong answer, Kevin. No, if you have a title deed to something, it's yours. You own it. It's yours. That's what the word substance is. It's our title deed. It proves that we have it, if you will. Um, it states that it belongs to you. So what then is the title deed or the foundation or that substructure of our faith. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The substructure, the foundation, the title deed that produces our faith is always the word of God. It's never blind faith. It's never positive thinking faith. It's not you think hard enough and believe hard enough and believe long enough, then God will do it. It's always based on the word of God. So the substance is the word of God. That's the foundation for our faith. Now, the evidence of faith. The, the evidence is what comes out of your life. Uh, it's the conviction in your life. It's the acting out of your faith in your life. If your faith is real, there will be a resulting change in your life. Even if you haven't seen the end result, no matter what the circumstances. So the evidence is in your life. And, and think of the book of Hebrews. He's talking to two groups. One, one, 
one, one group of people, the Jewish people, made up of two groups, if you will. Those who are truly saved, those who possess the Lord, but those who are only professing believers. They're not saved, they're just giving lip service to it. Well, what do you think is going to happen to those who are only giving lip service? They're going to ultimately not produce the evidence. Where true believers will produce the evidence. They'll follow through on what the Word of God says. That's the warning. That's what he's telling them. If you're truly saved, you're going to act on it. You're going to evidence in your life what has taken place. Now, things not seen, those are promises God has given us that we don't see. It's just promises. A heavenly home, which I mentioned earlier. Rewards for believers at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you believe that God will be giving, Jesus will be giving out rewards at the Bema Seat Judgment? Yeah. If that's true, should we not live in light of that promise? I mean, isn't that as secure? Isn't that as certain as can be? We've never seen Jesus. We've never seen the heavenly home. We've never seen God. Uh, we've never seen that Bema Seat Judgment. It's only a promise. Uh, but there should be evidence in our life that we, we believe that's going to come to pass. Now, uh, these two parts of faith, basing it on Scripture, number one, God's Word, and living in light of it are the basis for understanding the rest of the chapter. That undergirds, because as we go through, it always says, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did that. So what they did was always then, based on the Word of God, and they lived out what they were told to do because they believed the title deed. They believed the word of God and it was evidenced in their life by what they did. So, for by it, the elders obtained a good report. It is faith. By faith, the elders obtained a good report. Uh, it equals faith, which equals evidencing their conviction that God's word would come to pass. So, it, so by their living out their belief system, uh, they, reach, they obtained a good report from God. Now, let me give you some examples. First one, Matthew 15. We'll just read it first. Jesus commended this woman for her great faith. Uh, verse 21. Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon is in the area that we would refer to what country today? Lebanon, yes. So Jesus went up into the area of Lebanon. Uh, and behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast. So she was a woman of Canaan. Was she Jewish or was she Gentile? Gentile. She came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he answered and said, Jesus answered and said, I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered, and again Jesus responds to her and says, 
It is not proper, not meat, to take the children's bread to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now consider this whole, whole scenario. Put yourself in this woman's shoes. Look, you know, this woman comes, Gentile woman, comes from the coast of Lebanon, Tyrant Sidon. She comes and cries unto the Lord with her daughter being grievously demon-possessed and all the ramifications that go with that. How did Jesus respond initially to her? Look at verse 23. He didn't. He answered her not a word. He ignored her. Didn't pay any attention to her. Now, if you... If, now, think of Jesus on earth. I know a lot of you have prayed to Jesus like he never answers you anyway. But anyway, I understand that. But here she comes to Jesus in the flesh. This one who she's obviously heard a lot about. And he totally ignores her. How would you respond? Well, you'd probably be a little bit, um, because of our human nature, generally speaking, what? A little perturbed, maybe? A little put off? You know, I'm not going back to this church. They're not friendly at all. I came in and they just completely ignored me. Now here's the head of the church completely ignoring you, right? But then look what happens next. Then, the end of verse 23, And his disciples came and besought him, Jesus, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. We don't want her around here. We don't want her as part of our group. Get rid of this gal, Jesus. So you've gone into this church, if you will, if we want to put it down into modern day terminology, and the pastor won't even give you the time of day, will, won't, he just totally ignores you. And then all the congregants say, Pastor, get rid of that, that, that person. We don't want that person in our church. We don't want that person in our assembly with us. So now you have the Lord who's ignoring her, and then you have the followers of the Lord who just say, get rid of her, we don't want her amongst us if you were if, if this was you how would you respond <laughs> exactly that, that being honest you yeah you 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 turn okay i don't i don't want you i don't need you i got my own thing to do but it doesn't get better it actually gets worse look at verse 24 jesus answered and said I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I haven't come for Gentiles. I've come for Jewish people. You're a Gentile. You've only come for Jewish people. You don't fit into the program. Oh, my. This is coming from the lips of Jesus. First, he ignores her. His followers say, get rid of her. And then Jesus says, we only want Gentiles, in the uh, Jewish people in this group. We don't want any Gentiles. Like you go to the church and they look you up and down and say, you're the wrong age, you're the wrong economic bracket. We don't want you in this church. You don't fit what we're looking for. We only want these type of people and you don't fit. If you haven't left before, what's your propensity at this point? If you're honest. To leave. 
She was persistent. Look at verse 25. Then came she and worshiped say, him, saying, Lord, help me. Then, see, then, then Jesus, now Jesus, first he ignored her. Then he says, you're not the people I came for. And now he insults her. Third thing he does, but he answers that it's not proper, it's not right, it's not meat to take the children's bread and to give it to a dog. He insults her. Boy, in this world today that we live in, with all the isms that we have, you know, you, you say one word, you know, he, he would have been called a, uh, uh, a bigot, uh, uh, a, a non-feminist, uh, you, you know, uh, you know, a whole kind of, you know, misogynist, who knows what he would have been called. He, he, he just, he ignored her. I didn't come for you, you don't belong in our group, and insults her. Get the picture? She said, verse 27, truth, Lord. What you say, well, everything you've said, everything you've done is true, Lord. And then she reminded him, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. It's at this point that Jesus commended her for her great faith. Now, why was her faith great? And what made her or caused her to continue on with him instead of just turning tail in a huff and leaving? All of those things, exactly. It's based on, on the word of God and it was evidenced in her life. Go back to verse 22. She has said, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. Now, we don't know. There's no way we can know. This is, this is another one of those um, uh, people that I want to talk to in heaven. <laughs> you know, I want to talk to uh, uh, Samuel or Saul and find out what Samuel told Saul that brought him to the Lord. Uh, I want to talk to those two people, one a man, one a woman, on the road to Emmaus. Um, and find out what uh, Jesus talked to them in that hour, hours-long um, commentary on how he fulfilled the prophecies of the Tanakh, uh, the earlier scripture, the Old Testament. Um, this is another gal, a person I want to I talk with. said, you knew that Jesus was the son of David. Now, where do we learn about the son of David? The Bible, right? And the Bible talks about the son of David being the king, the messianic king. Some way, somehow, we don't know where, we don't know how, she learned about the concept or the teaching from the Bible of the son of David. And she knew somehow, some way, that Jesus was from the family of David fulfilled that prophecy, and was the son of David. It's a messianic term. And so she's attributing to Jesus messiahship. Now, I don't know how she learned that. Nobody learns, knows how she learned that. But it's evidenced in her life that she had come to a settled reality in her heart, in her mind, in her very soul and being that the son of David who would come is the Messiah of Israel, and Jesus is the one.
there's no other. She could only come to that by comparing the scripture with his life. It's based on the word of God. Then as we go on, when he, sh he says, uh, let's just put uh, verse 24. Um, but he answered and said, I am not come, I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Is this a true or a false statement by Jesus? Now, if you say true, I'm going to ask you why. <laughs> what, pardon? Yes, that's the easy answer. Yes. But why? Yes, he can't say anything false, so everything he says is true. But obviously, it, it, it's a true statement. Why is it true then? Salvation is of the Jews. Initially, the kingdom had to be, and that's what the book of Matthews is all about, Ma the book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew is all about. Initially, the kingdom had to be solely offered to the Jewish world, the Jewish people. That's what the disciples were commanded to do. That's what he is saying. This is, this is not only is this not a false statement because he can't say anything false, but it's a very biblically based true statement that when the Messiah would come, he would offer the kingdom to Israel. Now, we know from other scriptures that what would the Jewish people do with the offer of the kingdom? They would, they would reject it. They would turn from it, and then the gospel would turn around. The gospel would go out to the world, to the, and that was God's from the beginning, but it had to first go to the Jew, and, and then uh, ultimately go to the Gentiles. So not only couldn't he say anything false, but what he said was spot on, was exactly true. Certainly. Well, certainly he knew it, but I, I don't think the emphasis here should be on God. The emphasis is on this woman and her faith. Great is your faith. Certainly God knew that she would stick with it, as it were. Certainly God knew that the Jewish people would react it and all of that stuff. Uh, but the emphasis is here, and it's, and it's a challenge. And I think the emphasis here is, here is on the woman, because by extension, then, who is it a challenge to? Every believer. Every single one of us. So... So she kept on coming, and, 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 and certainly what Jesus said, what anything Jesus said was true. It can't be false, but that was exactly the plan of God from the beginning. He was followed through. Uh, if, if anybody is wrong here, it's the followers of Jesus. Uh, they're the wrong ones. But anyway, um, so even after he says, then, then came she, verse 25, and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Now, what does that tell you? She worshipped him. She, who is the only one, according to the Bible, that is due worship? God. When she worshiped Jesus, what is she saying by her worship? He is God. I mean, this is a claim to deity. Jesus didn't re reject that worship at all. Um, she worshiped him. Somehow she put it together. There are plenty of texts in the earlier scripture, the Old Testament, the Tanakh, that speak about the Messiah being God. 
Micah 5.2, Isaiah 9.6, Isaiah uh, 48.49.50, and you can go on. So many scriptures, Psalm 45 and Psalm 118 and on and on and on. Somehow, she became aware, and again, we don't know how. This is why I want to talk to this gal in, in heaven. You know, what did you, where did you learn? You know, maybe there was a synagogue in Tyra or Sidon. There were a lot of synagogues in outlying areas. Maybe she attended the synagogue and heard teaching there from the Bible, if not about Jesus, the reading of the Bible, something like that. She probably didn't own a Bible because Bibles at that time were very rare. They were scrolls. And generally, if you wanted to hear the Bible read, uh, you didn't have one to read. You went to the synagogue. We can speculate, but we don't know. But she knew enough about the Bible. The Bible teaches the Messiah would be God. Jesus is the son of David. He is the Messiah. He is God. And so when she worshiped him, she's exhibiting what she believed in her head or her heart, if you will. This is the God of heaven. If this is truly, if Jesus is truly the Messiah, the Lord of heaven, the God of heaven, who else can she go to for help? Nobody. And so if she is truly convinced of this, what will she do? She will continue on her quest. She never said any, she never, even when Jesus insulted her, it's not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. In other words, at this point in history, the children's bread is for the children of Israel. And you don't take that and give it to the Gentiles at this point. That's what you want me to do. She never denied that. She never said, Lord, you're wrong. She actually said, Lord, you're correct. She never denied his teaching. She never said it was erroneous. She always said it was correct. And then she just made the um, observation, but even the dogs eat the crumbs and fall from the master's table. She was driven to Jesus by what she knew from the word of God about who he was. Messiah, very God himself. And she knew that the only place she could get a response to her need was from him. Nowhere else was, and so she kept on coming. It didn't bother her that he ignored her. It didn't bother her that the disciples didn't want her around didn't bother her that Jesus said I've only come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel in this time of God's plan that was true didn't bother her that he then called her in essence a dog this is the God of heaven this is the true Messiah where else am I going to go and she showed it by what she did and then Jesus commended her oh great is thy faith and her prayer was answered but, but don't miss it. Her, 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 her drivenness that she wouldn't stop was based, uh, obviously, on her knowledge of who Jesus is. Was, is, however you want to put it. Still is. She knew he was the Messiah. She knew he was the Lord. The only place she would learn that is the Word of God. And the Word of God, it was her foundation. The word of God is true. It's my foundation. It's my sub. Uh, is my uh, what was? It? It's my subterranean uh, structure. 
It holds me up. I, I can only live based on the word of God. And it's, it's, it's the evidence of things not seen. So it's, it's flowing out of my existence, flowing out of my life. And what I'm doing is just following through on what the word of God says. And I believe it 100%. That's why I'm continuing. Turn the page over. I summarized it for you. Two obstacles this woman had to overcome. The disciples' rejection, Jesus' rejection. Two clues why she was commended for her great faith. Now, son of David is a messianic term, and she worshiped Jesus. Now, consider Elijah uh, and the treatment of Elijah in James chapter 5 in verses 16 through 17. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another that you might be healed. That alone is worth uh, a study uh, because it has been so misunderstood here. But without going into detail, let me just tell you what I believe it's speaking of. You're confessing your faults one to another. This, this person has sinned against somebody. And he is being told, you know, the elders are called for healing. If you want to get healed, you have to get right with that individual that you've sinned against. And when you confess your fault, your sin to that individual, then you can be healed. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, then he gives Elijah, Elias in the King James, but Elijah as, a, as an example. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. No difference than us. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain. Remember with the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 17 and 18. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rain, not rain not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Now, we could have added, or I could have added, uh, the other back end of that whole story, because what happened after the uh, situation with the prophets of Baal, uh, Elijah did what? He prayed and it rained. But I only put the front end of the story because that's what God put here in James. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years and six months. Now, did, I, did Elijah just get in his mind, I don't like these pagans. And I don't like these Israelites who are being pagans and following them in their idolatry. So God, I want you to, to, to dry up the heavens for three and a half years. Did, did Elijah just get this in his craw because of his attitude towards his fellow Israelites and the pagans in the area? No. Elijah's prayer was solidly based on the word of God. Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 17. It's a general challenge to the nation of Israel. It shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. But I will give you the rain of your land in due season, the first rain, the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn, thy wine, thine oil. I will send grass in the fields, for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. But now he gives the warning, verse 16. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived. 
and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. What was happening at the time of Elijah with the people of Israel? They're following other gods. How many had not bowed their knee to Baal? 7,000. There's certainly somewhere in the neighborhood of a million and a half Jews. The overwhelming majority were following false gods. Moses had written, Take heed to yourselves, Israel, that your heart be not deceived. You turn aside, you serve other gods and worship them. That's exactly what they were doing. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shall shut up the heaven, that there be no rain, that the yield, land yield not her fruit, lest ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord gives you. So uh, Elijah, being a student of the word of God, recognizes the condition of the nation of Israel. He is exercised about it. They are idolatrous as can be. Only 7,000 have not knee, bowed their knee to Baal. That means 99% plus, I'm estimating 7,000 out of uh, 1.5 million, is that, I would guess, you know, 10% would be uh, 150,000. 1% would be 15,000. Yeah, less than 1% hadn't, half a percent hadn't bowed their knee to Baal. They were just loaded, and, and Elijah was a student of the Word of God. And he comes to God, he says, God, you made a promise that if these people go after other gods and start worshiping them and turn their heart from you, that you're going to dry up the heavens. Lord, just do what you said you'd do. That's all. That's a very simple prayer. What happened? God did what he said he would do in answer to Elijah's prayer. But Elijah prayed based on what? The word of God. The promise of God. And put it on the flip side, on the back end of it, when Elijah prayed, if they would turn back to God, what would God do? Bring rain. What did they do at the end? The prophets, they, they turned back to God. God sent, in answer to prayer again, Elijah, a rain as Elijah had asked for. Elijah was on, a, on extremely solid ground. What was that solid ground? The word of God. Look at Matthew 17, 17 through 20. Jesus, Jesus rebukes his followers. Then Jesus and said, uh, answered and said, How fa O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. His disciples couldn't heal somebody. His followers, his 11, 12. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came to the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. They were faithless. They had unbelief. Jesus rebuked them. Now, was it that they should have just believed hard enough? Oh, Lord, I know you can do this. Do it. But they didn't believe hard enough? Jesus called his disciples faithless because they could not heal the man's son. 
Jesus said they were unable to heal the boy because of their unbelief. Earlier, Matthew 10.1 records that Jesus had given them the power to heal this type of sickness. 10.1 reads this way. When he had called on to him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. That was a promise directly to the 12 from the very word of God. Wasn't whatever Jesus spoke, the word of God? How solid is that promise to the, not, it's, not a, it's not a promise to us. It's a promise to the 12, the first of the apostles, the disciples that, that followed him, which would have included Judas in that group. I understand that. But the promise was based on the word of God, what Jesus said. The problem was the apostles, oh, you know, we remember what he said, but I'm not really sure he meant it. Because if they would have believed that and evidenced that in their life, that demon would have been cast out. But they didn't have, they didn't really believe it. They questioned it. They doubted it. Instead of standing sure on what Jesus had said and following through. And they didn't evidence it. Same type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Why did Peter walk on the water? Same type of thing. He was obeying what? The word of God, which was the words from Jesus. And when he obeyed the word of God, he, he walked on the water. But when he started getting his mind away from what God had said and off the word of God, it's another good um, illustration. What happened to Peter? Started to sink. But when he based what he was doing and, and believed the word of God, and it was evidence in his life, things, things happened. Same type of thing. Faith is always based on the Word of God. And, and I've tried to share this with you in the past. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, um, I don't know if I have it down here, I'll mention it um, Mention it again. Um, we talk. Uh, yeah, I don't have it. But salvation. Um, I don't think I talk about. When, when we pray for someone to be saved, it's not wrong to pray for someone to be saved. I've heard people. You know, maybe we should just pray for the whole world to be saved. Then, is the whole world going to be saved? Why do we know the whole world is not going to be saved? The word of God. You know, um, it's much better to pray. It's always better to pray and believe based on the word of God. I wish there was a passage in scripture that said that my brother or brothers and sister would be saved. I'd claim it yesterday. There's no passage like that. There's no passage for there, there for your spouse, your children, your relatives, your friends. Uh, but there are passages, for example, <coughs> that tell us when the Spirit of God has come into the world, John chapter 16, that he, the Spirit of God, will convict the world, unsaved people, of sin, of righteousness, of judgment to come. Sin is their problem. Righteousness is their antidote, Jesus. Judgment to come is what happens if you don't accept Jesus. 
The Spirit of God, that's the pre-salvation ministry of the Spirit of God. And I, and I, I am totally convinced, <coughs> if you pray for Gerald, George, Frank, our three amigos, don't pray that they get saved. They may get saved, they may not get saved. Do I want them to get saved? Certainly. But if we would pray, Lord, convict them. Without spirit conviction of someone, they're never going to get saved. Convict them of their sin. And how many times have you heard me pray that for individuals, lost people? Convict them of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. And them, not just generally speaking, convict George, convict Gerald, convict Frank. I am totally convinced that some way, somehow, some form, somewhere, a radio program, a track, a witness by whomever, uh, that God will bring conviction, enlightenment to that individual that they're sinners, Jesus is the Savior, and there's judgment to come. They can reject it. It doesn't say what they're going to do with it. But I am totally convinced because that's the promise of Jesus, of God. When the Spirit of God has come in the world, he will convict the world. When Jesus leaves. Did Jesus leave? Yes. Has the Spirit of God come? Yes. Does the Spirit of God convict unsaved people of sin? Yes. Pray that. Don't go to uh, Acts chapter 6. Is it 16? The Philippian jailer, is it, you know, and say, and, and Paul has said to the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou and thy household will be saved. I've met people who said, I'm praying this for my family. I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the promise is that, that my household will be saved. I said, are you a Philippian jailer? See, that was a promise to one individual. It's not a blanket promise. It was a promise to the Philippian jailer. So, yes, it's the word of God, and the Philippian jailer believed it, and his household was saved, but it's not a promise for us. It's a promise for a Philippian believer, a Philippian jailer. John 16 is a promise to us. Look at verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So through faith. Now, what is faith? Faith is always based on the word of God, and there's evidence in our life that we have biblical faith, okay? So through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The worlds, the ages, the time, including creation. So how do we know that we got here by creation and not evolution? Word of God. Plain and simple. Not that, you know, the, the, the evolutionists think we're blind faith and zany faith and crazy faith, which really all applies to them. But the reason we believe in creation is not because the creation... I read an article today or yesterday, um, you know, this, the, the genome and the DNA and all of that, and, it's, and it was on the chimpanzee. 
And, you know, we're all related to chimpanzees, right? You know, according to the evolutionists. You know, we all, you know, we all, we're all close relatives. We're, we're blood brothers. You know, and, and for that to be possible, according to, why are you shaking your head? You don't believe that, Bob? I, I can, you know, does that help? Okay, but anyway, um, they say to, for that to be possible, there has to be, uh, I, I may be off a little bit, 96 to 98% match in the DNA in the genome. Well, they've just discovered, and, and for years that was the, um, <clears throat> the understanding. There's, there's that 96 to, 96 to 98% match, which means we are compatible, which means we are descended from the same uh, ape mom and dad. Uh, and we're down, you know, that type of... Well, they've just determined in these new studies and this type of thing that in actuality, the, the comparable DNA match between chimpanzees and man is 80% or less, which is so far off from any possible actuality of us descending from apes, it's not even on the chart. It is so wrong. I don't believe in creation because the genome of the chimpanzee doesn't match up with the genome DNA of myself. That's not why I believe in creation. This is why I believe in creation. I remember a number of years ago, um, I can't remember their names. They'll come to me. Who was that Christian scientist, the uh, physicist, the... Uh, down in South Carolina, Danny Faulkner. Danny Faulkner, who was a, who was a top-notch astrophysicist. And Danny, I, I spoke of the church he was at, and, and he's no longer in South Carolina. But he's with Answers in Genesis now. But anyway, Danny gave me a debate. He'd just gotten it, uh, the video of it, that he had a debate with uh, the Christian, um, the Christian, ev the, the, uh, the, the, the Christian evolutionists. What, what is it called? Uh, Christian evolution, theistic evolution, yes, thank you. And the number one proponent of that is this, I think he's out in California, I can't remember his name. It'll come to me, I won't call you at three in the morning. So he gave me, he had a debate with him. He said, will you listen to this, I'm just curious, and he, nobody else had listened to this, except those who were at the debate. This is the first release of the DVD, and he asked me to listen, so I did. And I sent it back to him with, with, with one comment. One sentence, two sentences. I said, Danny, it's very clear. I said, you, Ross. Aha, uh -huh, I knew it would come to me. You, Ross, Dr. You, Ross. He argues from science to the Bible. Dr. Faulkner, Danny, you argue from the Bible to science, the world of difference. And he wrote back and he said, you nailed it. That's exactly it. You, Ross, elevate science above the Bible and so reads science into the Bible to come up with theistic evolution. Where a creation scientist goes from the Bible to science and says, no, where science contradicts the Bible, science is wrong, Bible is right. Yes? There's a lot of them that do. But there's a lot of problems with it, yeah. Because if, um, uh, according to the Bible, sin came through the first man, Adam. 
according to the evolution, prior to the first man on earth, you had all this death and destruction of, 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 of all kinds of stuff. But death and destruction comes through sin. So there's a lot of good arguments against it. Uh, but the bottom line, why, do we, why are we creationists? The Bible. Why don't we believe in evolution? The Bible doesn't teach it. Plain and simple. It's not difficult. So through the Bible, we understand that the worlds were framed. This is verse 3. We're framed by the word of God. God spoke and it came into existence. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And through the word of God, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, Genesis 1.1, we understand how the universe came into existence. It's creation, not evolution. God spoke, the world came into existence. Things which are seen, that's creation, sun, moon, and stars. Things which are not visible, ex nihilo. In other words, God created everything out of nothing. There was no Big Bang, uh, you know, uh, now, can I understand? Can you understand? Can anybody understand something being created out of nothing? I can make a paper airplane. I, I'm, don't test me. Because I got a piece of paper. If I didn't have the paper, I can't make a paper airplane. How did God create everything out of nothing? We create a lot of stuff out of stuff that's already there. God created everything out of nothing. In the next verses, we will be given examples of those who lived in light of God's word. So go to verse 4. And there are three basic thoughts that you have in verses 4, 5, and 7. 6 is um, it's a, kind of like, I don't want to say parenthetical, because it's, it's, it's driving home the point. So it's, it, when you think of parenthetical, you think, well, it's important, but it's not the main argument. This is the main argument. So it's like a lot of people say Romans 9 through 11 is parenthetical to the book of Romans. Because Paul is talking about salvation, and then all of a sudden, hey, I love Israel. I want to talk to you about Israel. So it's just a parenthetical thought about somebody who can't get over Israel, Paul. It's not parenthetical. It's, it's germane. It's, it's, it's basic to the point, uh, to the entire development. And, that's all, and so I'm going to put a plug for my article on the intrinsic, it's, I don't remember how it's in the magazine out there, on the intrinsic tie-in between uh, Romans 9 through 11 in Israel and the gospel. Or something. It's, a, it's a crazy title. But anyway, you can read it. So. But look at verse 4. There's three thoughts here. Faith begins with salvation. Faith continues with our obedient walk with the Lord. And faith obeys God in sharing him with those who are not saved. And there's a progress there. There's a progression there. And it starts with salvation. Verse 4. <coughs> By faith... Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained right, witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaks. By faith, Abel. Now, we don't know, we know that the word of God was taught that not all of it is recorded for us. We only have Genesis 1, and we have Genesis 2, and then in Genesis chapter 3, we have the story of um, 
sin and the entrance of sin. In chapter 4, Abel. Okay, so he didn't have a lot of the written word. Probably didn't have any of the written word, actually, at that point. But God had communicated to him. And Abel knew what God required. He showed it to him in the garden with Adam and Eve with the shedding of blood. He knew there had to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. By faith. Faith is always based on the word of God. Abel knew that God requires a blood sacrifice and ultimately he would be the one to provide it. So when Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, why was it better? Abraham uh, not Abraham, Abel brought something based on a blood sacrifice. Cain brought the works of his own hands, the fruit of the ground. The whole point of this is that Abel understood that there had to be a blood sacrifice and God would provide the provision for his sins and Abel was saved. It's, the faith starts with salvation. You're itching to say something, Bob. Okay, thank you. So it's the best that he had, but it was a blood sacrifice. Cain brought the best that he had, but it wasn't best, best based on blood. Faith always begins with salvation. We have to believe what the Word of God says. Not what Judaism says, not what the Catholic Church says, not with what your pastor says. It's always based on the Word of God. And hopefully your pastor lines up with the Word of God. It always starts with the Word of God. And the Word of God says we're sinners. We can't save ourselves. Jesus died, buried, rose again. If we accept him, we have forgiveness of sins. And if you believe what the Word of God says, what are you going to do? It's going to be evidenced, right? You're going to accept it. Abel believed God, and it was evidenced in what he brought as an offering. Cain knew about the word of God. He knew what God required. Certainly he did. Unquestionably. He didn't believe it. So I'm going to bring the best that I have to offer. He didn't really believe the word of God. Abel is a testimony to all of us. We need to be saved. So faith is initially activated by our believing what the word of God says about salvation. Secondly, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony. He pleased God. By faith, Enoch. Do you think Enoch knew the word of God? Enoch was what we would call later on in Scripture a prophet. Listen to what Genesis 5 says about Enoch. Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah, and Enoch walked with God. After he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Enoch were 360 and 5 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not. God took him. There's the rapture of one individual. Enoch believed the word of God, and he exhibited that belief in his life. Jude tells us that Enoch actually prophesied of the Lord coming with ten thousands of his saints. Now, how many other 
people were going around at this time when there was no written word of God that God used to communicate truth? We have no idea. We know he did it with Enoch. It's just uh, logical to think there would have been others that God used to communicate truth as he did with Enoch. But whatever amount of the word of God Enoch got, Enoch believed it and it was exhibited, evidenced in his life with his walk with God. After we're saved, if we are really believing in God, should we walk with God daily, live for God in our life, put him before everything? Yes. And it'll be evidenced in our life. And thus, that brings us to this very important verse, verse 6. He's going back really to verse 1. And, he, and he's talking to these professors and these possessors. And mostly here, the professors. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. The only way we can please God is through faith. Which is believing what he has told us and acting upon it, right? Without doing that, it is impossible to please him. And then it says this. For he that comes to God, three things. Must believe that he is. Must believe that he is a rewarder of them. And must believe that he rewards those that diligently seek him. So you have to have faith. You must have faith. You have to live based on God's word. Then you must believe that God is. Now you could go out on the street and you could interview 100 people in Anger. Do you believe there's a God? And if Gerald and, and George and Frank were not in that group, you'd probably get 99 people who say yes. At least 90. They're, they'd bring down the percentage, I agree. But you would find the vast majority of people in Anger would say they believe in God. That's not what this is talking about. It's not just a flippant statement that God is out there. It's not believing there's a sugar daddy in the sky. There's a general statement that there's a God. Nor is it saying, oh, I believe in a supreme being of Islam or whatever religion it might be, or of your imagination. That's not what this is talking about. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is. He is what? Everything the scripture tells us he is. Just, holy, righteous, faithful, true, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, the only God who has a son who is the only Savior, etc. You can, you can add to this yourself. When we who come to God must believe that he is true, just, righteous, holy, hates sin. I mean, you can just go, this has, but it's, it's not just a head knowledge. 
it, it's got to be in the very um, craw of our being. It's got to be down to the soles of our feet. It's got to just uh, emboss us uh, uh, you know, in just all of that truth. God, this is God. This is the one we know. He is all of these things. Everything else pales in comparison to that. Without faith, it's impossibilism. And you need to believe all of these things, that everything the Scripture tells us about God. And, and through your years of studying the Bible, you've heard it at church, you've heard it in Bible study, you've seen it in your personal reading, all of these things about God. You must believe that God is all of these things in the very uh, uh, depths of your being. And you must believe that He is a rewarder. God is out there to, to, to bless us. If you're his children, God is out there to reward us if what? We diligently seek him. There's a Bema seat judgment where we will get rewards for our service. There are five crowns, there are blessings that we can get here on earth for serving him. But we have to diligently what, follow him. What does diligently speak of? You set your mind to it and you keep at it. You have to diligently seek after God. <clears throat> You're not going to please Him unless you have faith. You've got to believe He is who He says He is. You've got to diligently seek Him and follow Him, understanding that this God will reward you for faithful living. Then verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Abraham, uh, not Abraham, Noah we are told. Uh, chapter 6 through 9 tell us of his life, by the way, in Genesis. Um, but Second Peter 2.5 tells us Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah knew the word of God. What was the word of God that Noah heard? Noah, it's going to rain. Noah didn't say, God, what are you talking about? I'm in the middle of a desert. There's never been rain. This water's come from the sky. It's always come up from down below. And God, you tell me this water's going to come down from the heavens? Come on, God. No, that was the, uh, that was the citizenry. That's, those are the people who mock Noah. Noah believed, never, Noah just started building. Built me an ark in the middle of a desert because it would be a big rain. He built this huge ark. You want to know how big it was? Go to Kentucky. You'll see how big it was there because Ken Ham has built a bottle of it. Build this big boat in the middle of a desert. It's never before had rain come, water come down from heaven. And so what did Noah do? He built it. And he warned the people that rains, and you know what they, oh, come on, Noah, water from heaven? That's impossible. Never happened. It just can't happen. Never happened, never will happen. You're dreaming. God told you that? You're a crazy old man, Noah. Noah believed God. And he evidenced that belief in what God told him by how he lived and what he did. And he witnessed to the world as a result. But Noah's Faith and what he did was based again on the word of God, evidenced in his life. You want to? 
120 years before it happened, yes. So. Yeah, you had to get the lumber, and you know, and he didn't have a lot of wor workers. Uh, you know, he had he and his wife, and she was cooking and cleaning all the time, probably. And uh, three said, you know, it took a long time, but he did it. He did it. Uh, 120 years. But the whole point that this chapter is making is Noah heard the word of God, believed the word of God, acted on the word of God. It was evidenced in his life, even though he was mocked and ridiculed for for a hundred plus years. Faith is based on what the Word of God says, evidencing what you say by the way you respond to the Word of God. That's what faith is. Faith is the substance of things not seen. It's based on the Word of God. It's our foundation. It's the evidence of things not seen. The evidence is you're living out your life even though you've never seen God, never seen heaven, never seen any rewards, never seen anything else, but you know that this is real because the Word of God tells you and you live in light of the Word of God, even though to this point you've never seen God, never seen heaven. But one day, our faith will be sight when we go to heaven. So this is such a pivotal chapter on what faith is. Any thoughts? questions. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Lord, it is our foundation. It is our title deed. <clears throat> With it, Lord, we claim uh, forgiveness of sins because in it, it tells us Jesus died for us and rose again. And those who accept him find forgiveness and eternal life. In it, we find how to live for you, how to walk with you. In it, we are told to witness and tell others about Jesus. We can do it verbally. We can do it through the mail. We can do it just a whole bunch of ways. But we are commanded to witness. Thank you for our title deed. Thank you for our foundation, the Word of God. And Lord, help us, each one of us, to be men and women of faith to please you. Kind of like that Canaanite woman. <clears throat> that one day in heaven, you'll say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Great was your faith. Bless our fellowship, bless the food, Lord, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries, thanking you for listening to our Bible study. These Jewish Awareness Podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919 919- Two seven five four four seven seven. Shalom.